saying nice things about me. That's sweet. I like that. feel good about that. Um, normally before I speak to uh, people that I haven't had an opportunity to speak uh, with before, I try to prepare them for what's going to happen, uh, which is I move a whole lot and speak very quickly. I feel like you guys are probably going to be okay. Um, I love your pastor. Uh, he, is a, he is a great guy. He's not just a good friend. He's been, I'm going to get emotional right now. Oh, how embarrassing. Uh, my family went through a loss some years ago. Um, and uh, as people were praying for us and, and then kind of the news was getting out, uh, Adam heard about it. And I could tell Adam heard about it because my phone started ringing. And it was, like, I was like, it was Adam. I was like, you know what? I know what this is about. I don't want to talk about this right now. So like, decline. It would ring again. Be like, decline again. Next day, phone rings. It's Adam. Decline. I know what this is about, buddy. Text messages. Hey, man, answer my, answer my calls. Okay. So he'd call again. About a week of this goes by, and I finally answer the phone. I go, hey, buddy, I know why you're calling. I appreciate it. I'm good. I'm great, thanks. And he said, hey, we're going to lunch. I was like, nope, nope, I'm good, thanks so much. He's like, no, we're going to lunch. I was like, hey, man, I'm good. And he said, no, we're going to lunch. And then he hung up. And you know what that jerk did? He showed up at my house. He came to my house and made me go to lunch with him. And through that whole season of loss and tragedy, that dude made me go to lunch with him every week. It was unbelievable. I love him. I'll never forget his faithfulness. I love that dude. I, I know you guys do too. Uh, so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about, um, I want to tell you about, read about this. Well, I'm going to talk about the cross, but without actually reading the text about the crucifixion. Uh, actually, I'm going to look at two different texts from what we call the gospel writers. Uh, one in Luke and, and one in John. And, and they're on either side of the cross because I want to talk about the effect of the cross. Because I think that by looking at this, and look, I know that's unusual and weird, but when Adam invited me, he knew it might get strange. I think it gives us a picture of what the Christian life is like. Like what you, what you can expect, what you should expect in the Christian life. So I, I want to look at two different passages. I'm going to start in Luke 22. And what's happening in Luke 22 is this scene, uh, it's, it's in the upper room. Uh, what they call the upper room. It's right before Jesus is going to be crucified. Judas is about to betray them, and, and Jesus has this Passover meal with his disciples. And he gives them and teaches them about the Lord's Supper, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And, and the disciples break, up in, break out into this conversation about who's going to be the greatest in this, in this thing that's happening. Like, who's going to be the greatest? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? Like, who's going to be his right-hand guy? And then Jesus says this, because they're all kind of like talking about what it's going to be like. Uh, and I'm going to start in verse, you know what, let's keep going. The scripture be fulfilled, Jesus prays in the Mount of Olives. Oh, Jesus tells that he's going to, about Peter. Peter's like, I'm going to go with you to the end. And, and Jesus is like, no, nah, you're actually not going to. Uh, and then Jesus is betrayed, and he's arrested while he was praying. That's what's been happening, and I want to read to you starting in verse 54 of, of Luke 22. It says this. 
They seized him, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, sat down together, uh, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I, I do not know him. A little later, uh, someone else saw him and said, You also were one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, like while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. <sighs> Man, this is a dramatic scene. Uh, following all that's happened, uh, and Peter just forgetting what's going on, he, he denies Christ three times, and in the third time the rooster crows and he looks up and Jesus is probably moving from one place to the other, from, from one kind of uh, person who's judging him to another, or from one form of torture to another, from one trial to another, and, and he's moving, and when the crows, rooster crows, he looks up and he sees Jesus and he catches his eye. His heart's broken. Very, very dramatic scene. Um, I think, though, that this is more than just, I think I maybe have always read this as like, oh man, like Peter's his bravery failed him. Like his courage failed him. And I, I think really, though, what's more, there's probably more going on than just lack of bravery or love. I mean, from Peter's perspective, there's got to be so much confusion and shock right now. I mean, so, so much. I mean, just a few days ago, he saw Jesus come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people are just freaking out and cheering and throwing down cloaks and palm leaves and, and welcoming him into the city. Uh, just a few days ago, uh, Peter thought that he had seen a prophecy fulfilled because this guy named Zechariah a long time ago, a long time before this, talking about God's word through him, talking about what was going to happen one day when the king comes, he wrote this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous, having salvation. He is humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He'll rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Peter thinks he's seen this. And now he's standing in a courtyard watching his friend, the one who he thinks this is about, be tried for something he didn't do. To be railroaded for something that he didn't do. And so he's seen all this, and he's got to be so confused about what's going on. His entire expectation of what's about to happen, his entire worldview really has been shattered. His whole way of understanding everything has been broken. And, and Peter for a long time has kind of been confused. Not just Peter, but all the disciples really kind of confused about Jesus, right? They're kind of confused that Jesus doesn't always act right. <laughs> um, 
sometimes they're, they're having a debate about who's going to be first in the kingdom and who's going to sit at his right hand. And Jesus says, you think you want that? You don't even know what you're asking. You don't even know what you're talking about. And then he does this crazy thing where he bends down and he starts washing their feet. And Peter's just stunned. Kings don't do that. And he's so confused by Jesus. He's so confused by the things that he constantly says. As a matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago that Peter was, uh, Peter was sitting with Jesus and Jesus asked them a question. He's in a teaching way. He says, who do you guys think that I am? And they give different answers and Peter says, you're the guy. You're the Messiah. You're the one that all the prophets wrote about. You're the promised one of God. You're the one that was promised. You are him. And Jesus says, that is an amazing answer. You don't even know what you're talking about. That answer is actually a gift from God. That he spoke that through you. Unbelievable. Then, in the very next scene, Jesus basically turns around and says, okay, I'm going to go die. And Peter pulls him aside and is like, hey, what are you doing, man? You can't talk like that. That's no way to start a movement. Talking about going and dying. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, calls him the devil and says, get out of my way. It's almost like the whole time that he's known Jesus, Peter is thinking, I believe you're the Messiah, but you're doing it wrong. Like, I, I get that you're this guy, but you just, you don't seem to be doing it right. Because he has this idea fixed in his head of what the Messiah is supposed to do, what he's supposed to be like, and what a rescuer is going to do for him. And we, we all do this, by the way. We all have this idea fixed in our head of what salvation looks like, what to be rescued looks like. I was listening to this podcast a few days ago, and... Uh, there's two comedians, stand-up comics, talking. And one of them asked the other, why do you think that you do this? And the other one says, I know exactly why I do this. I do this because I'm the same six-year-old today that I was when I was a child. I believed then that if I could walk into the room and make everybody laugh, maybe nobody would get hit. If I could walk into the room and control it, everybody would be okay. And so I just kind of like leaned into that and I just kind of believed that, that if, you know, if I was a famous comic, everything would be okay. And now I'm a famous comic and my life is still garbage. I mean, he didn't say this, but what he's saying is in different languages, I thought being a famous comic would be my salvation and it wasn't. He's asking too much of it, right? He's asking too much of a profession to fix everything. But man, if we don't fall into that trap nonstop, constantly falling in the trap of thinking that we have this one thing, if we had this one thing, then everything would be fixed. And we ask too many of these things. We ask too much of these things. I'm a little dismissive of the current uh, social imaginary, the, the, the message in the, in the, just this in the air that we breathe in the world that we live in right now, uh, the message that just believe in yourself. Just believe in you. Be the authentic you and everything will be okay. If you can just live out and anything that gets in your way of being the authentic you, that's the problem. We kind of just, maybe condescending is a better word. Like, I just don't. I, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what evidence do you have that listening to yourself is going to do anything for you? Like, that's a crazy thing to think out loud. Trust me, I've tried it. Like, what do you, why would you believe that? And then who are you going to be thankful for? We all have this urge to be thankful. Like, we'll be thankful to the universe. 
And like, this is insane. How can you be thankful to a cold, impersonal thing if there is no God? It doesn't make any sense to me. There's a, a cognitive disconnect there for me. And that's, that's what, it bothers me so bad. But here's why I think people are willing to do that. Because you, yourself, the authentic you that you think that you are in the universe, they're not going to ask you to change. They'll never ask very much of you. So we'll live with a cognitive disconnect to just keep being the same six-year-old we always were, just wanting cake. If we just had cake, everything would be okay. And so we'll live with that, and, and we'll, we'll put too much on other things. We, we want things, sometimes good things, careers, good thing, a family, good thing, a relationship, a good thing, but we put so much on them that we expect them to fix everything, and we end up breaking everything because they were never meant to hold the weight of all that means to make us happy. So we ask these things that we think are going to save us far too much. And what you see here in all of Scripture is you see that, man, thank goodness God does not let us hold on to these lesser saviors. He's too good. He'll strip them from us. Peter has his idea, we have ours. And they're never enough. Because even if you got everything that you wanted, if your career provided everything you wanted, if you were one of the lucky ones that that was actually attainable for, and you got everything and you were actually happy, you still live with the shame of the sin that you have in your heart and your life, and you will still one day die. No other Savior but a crucified one can do something about that. Jesus will not let us give ourselves to lesser saviors. He loves us that much. And so what happens is he ends up breaking all of these things. He breaks all of these idols over and over and over again. The cross just does that. The cross destroys our understanding of salvation. It destroys our understanding of how to lay hold of the good life. Just like it did for Peter. Jesus told him and he tells us, hey, I'm, I'm going the way of the cross. And if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and come and it just undoes all of our thinking on what we need to be okay. It doesn't make sense to us. Like even Paul says, look, I get it. I get what I'm telling you is foolishness. I feel to most, most people, I get that it's a stumbling block that we got to get over. I understand, but the cross is the way. And when Peter says, I think in this scene, when Peter says, I don't know him, three times, I think he was accidentally being honest. Here's what I mean. I think that if, if you could have kind of like stopped and pressed into what Peter was saying, I think he, it was an accident, I'm sure, but, but he said, I think he would say this, hey, don't you know him, uh, the guy that's being on, on trial right now, the Jesus on trial right now? No, I don't, I don't know him. The Jesus that I know, would, this wouldn't happen to the Jesus that I've been following wouldn't be arrested. The Jesus that I follow, you don't understand. I've seen him walk, I've seen him walk on water. I walked on water. I've seen him heal the sick. I've seen him raise the dead. And he went willingly tonight with a bunch of soldiers. I don't know that I know that Jesus. The Jesus that I know wouldn't do that. And he denies knowing Jesus. And the thing is, that's just, that's us, Right? Whether we realize it or not, it's us constantly. When I don't do what Jesus tells me to do with my finances, I'm denying him, right? The Jesus that I know would never really ask me to do that with my money. I can't be happy if I do that. I don't, I don't really know that Jesus. 
The Jesus that I know wouldn't ask me to spend time with, with people that I don't really know that well. He wouldn't ask me to serve in a way that I'm unqualified. Or he wouldn't ask me to do this thing that doesn't make me happy. The Jesus that I know wouldn't do those things. Yeah, he would. And he does. And I think Peter was accidentally being honest, and we have to be honest. We deny him when we don't obey him with our loves and our time. Because he has declared those as his as Savior. But this is not where the story ends. The story doesn't end there. There's this other scene that I want to go to. Uh, uh, Jesus goes, and he, uh, after this scene, sham trial, he's crucified. Uh, and then, crazy thing happens, raises, he's risen from the, rises from the dead. It's unbelievable. And then, uh, a bunch of people see it. The disciples see it. He's, and it's in a weird way. He's popping in and out of locked rooms. <laughs> like, I think it's probably still like a very confusing thing for everybody. So, so this happens uh, after this. I want to read the scene that's after, after this. I'm going to go to John 21. So after this, uh, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Uh, Simon, Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel and Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. We do that, by the way. Uh, we go back, when things get confusing, we go back to the thing we know. I'm going fishing. Uh, they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, about 100 yards. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that, you may, that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, said to him, follow me. This scene is 
amazing. They've gone back to what they know. They've gone back to fishing. And they're sta- from their perspective, they're, they're standing on the boat. And a stranger says to them, uh, like, throw your nets on the other side. Which, by the way, just a weird thing that they did, right? I mean, if you were at your job and having a bad day and some stranger walked by and told you how to do your job, you'd be like, shut up. But they did it. I think it's probably a whole other sermon here about, like, Jesus' the power of Jesus' words to compel us to do things. But anyway, so they do it. They throw it on the side. A bunch of fish come in. Peter realizes what's going on. John does first. Peter realizes what's going on, and he throws himself into the sea. Very in character with Peter, if you've read the Gospels. Jumps in, swims in. The rest of them come by boat. And then after breakfast, they have this conversation. And the third time, Peter, I think, finally gets it. I think there's more going on here than, hey, Peter, like the, the depth of Peter's love, right? Hey, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. But do you love me? Yeah, I love you. But do you love me? I don't think that's what's going on. I think that there's, there's more happening. I think maybe instead of the emphasis being on the word love, it should be on, on me. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Me. I know that you love the idea of who I was supposed to be, but now that you've seen the way, do you still love, do you love me? The actual me, not your made-up idea of me, but do you love the actual me? I mean, it's one thing to love Jesus when it looks like the whole, there's the whole world to gain. It's another when it involves ridicule, being ostracized, not getting what you want. I mean, this Jesus that Peter now sees, has seen the crucifixion, seen the resurrection. Do you love me? Because this is the way. And then he says, I'm going to, each time he answers, I I love you, Jesus responds the same way. Well, then I have something for you to do. I have have work for you to do. I I want you to go and feed my sheep. This is a whole different way of thinking about greatness, isn't it? I mean, in Peter's mind, it was more of like a Roman idea of greatness. You know, parades, military. Like, his idea of greatness, like, when Jesus' kingdom comes, like, I'm going to be his right-hand guy, and there's going to be a bunch of people that I can send here and send there. And Jesus instead says, you, wanna, you love me? You want to be the second-hand guy? This is the way it goes. It's the way of the service. It's the type of kingdom, I've heard it described, and I think this is a great way. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Right? Where things just don't even almost make sense. It's the kind of kingdom where the greatest of us, the one who deserves the most glory, comes and dies on a cross. That's the way of the kingdom of God. It's the way of service. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Then let me tell you how to be involved in this kingdom. You're going to go and you're going to feed my sheep. You're going to go and you're going to teach these people. You're going to show them why this is the way. You're going to tell them about me. You're going to serve them. You're going to remember how I washed your feet? I need you to go do that. Hey, do you remember that when you guys couldn't find me and I was up early praying for you? I need you to do that. If you want to be great in this kingdom, in my kingdom, if you love me, I'm going to lead you somewhere. I need you to go the way that I go. And he calls Peter into this kingdom, remaking the world in this whole new way that looks completely different. And the amazing thing about this scene he might do this. The, the amazing thing about this scene, listen, here's the deal. I, I think that if, if we've grown comfortable with the idea of God's grace, maybe we don't quite understand it. I think maybe, maybe we've forgotten. That happens to me. Maybe I should put that on you. Here's what I mean. 
on the hardest day of his life, hardest day of Jesus' life, Peter has just betrayed him. Betrayed him. He was given a heads up. Hey, by the way, this is coming. And he still did it. In any kind of secular kingdom, in any kind of secular world, there's no coming back from that. There's no coming back from stabbing someone in the back, walking away from somebody. There's, but in this scene, in this situation, he's just done. This wasn't 10 years ago. It's just happened. And what does Jesus do? He meets him on the shore and fixes him breakfast. That's insane. That's what our God is like. Our God is like that. When we betray him, when we deny him, he meets us for breakfast and says, hey, come, let me, let me remind you who I am. Come, sit with me. Let me teach you again about who I am. Let's restore relationship. Come and sit with me. I know you denied me. Let, let, let's move past that and let me remind you who I am. This is what the God we serve is like. That is unbelievable. It, it's unreal. The story of the prodigal son, you know that? If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, look it up. It's really good. You should read it. But this, this parable of the prodigal son is so good. There's this, I think, I mean, like any wisdom literature, these, these parables, man, they grow with you as you grow. I just became overwhelmed recently at the scandal of what the father did. I mean, it's just, it's just embarrassing. I mean, if you knew someone who did what his son basically says, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance now. Abandons him, spends it all on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Comes back. And what does the dad do? Jumps off of the porch and runs to him, hugs him, throws him a giant party. If that was your neighbor, you'd be on the phone. You'd be like, dude, you're not going to believe what he's doing. The kid that left, he's back. He's back. And he's throwing him a party. Like we would tell everybody because it is scandalous. We would all be on the older brother's side. This is insane. What are you doing? Do you not remember who he is and what he's done? And our God says, yep, I know exactly who you are and what you've done. You're my child, and he runs to you. Nothing else that you could give your life to will ever do that for you. Your career will never do that for you. You betray your career, you're done. It will never run to you. It will never fix you breakfast. It's unbelievable that this is what our God is like. And here's what it took. He just threw himself into the sea and swam to him. <laughs> or come in the boat. I don't know. I mean, they, they probably beat Peter to the shore, right? They're only 100 yards out. Come to him. Listen to him. Hear him. Sit with him. He offers restoration. And not just restoration, but restoration that was greater than the betrayal. It's better now than it was before. I mean, I think before this, Peter wasn't really ready to lead at all. He would have led out of strength, right? It's easy to lead out of strength. Hey, guys, I've memorized 10 memory verses. Come like me. You can be holy and righteous like me. Come memorize 10 memory verses with me. It's easy to lead out of strength. It's much harder to lead out of failure and weakness. But man, he has failed. And Jesus restores him, not only just back to where he was, but says, hey, here's what leadership looks like in my kingdom, and sets him on a path to leadership. Un believable. Here's what I believe is true. I believe that the Christian life moves forward in our hearts, in our communities, in our cities, and in the world, not in spite of patterns of death and resurrection, but, but through them. 
It's these patterns of us dying to ourselves. this thing that we thought would save us, this thing that we thought if we just had this, everything would be okay. Us learning to die to that, and it's called a death because it hurts. There's loss, but the restoration is greater. What I'm saying is when Jesus kills off our idols, he always gives us something better, himself. And that's what's going on in this beautiful, beautiful picture, this restoration. Peter's limited idea of what um, salvation looks like has been destroyed. And Jesus, the real Jesus, is there to restore him. And he says, go feed my sheep. Go nourish them. Go teach them. Go serve. When we've come to follow Jesus, that's what he does. He asks that of us. He asks us to go serve in places that we would think that we would never want to go. To teach us, to shape us, and to mold us to be more like him. He asks us to serve and to love in these amazing, amazing ways. We don't do it alone. I mean, surely Jesus would never ask me to serve in kids, right? That seems awful. Yeah. I, he would. He absolutely would love, to, would love for you to do that. He, he shapes us. He would never ask me to give. Yeah, absolutely he would. He would never want me, he would never lead me where I don't want to go. Yeah, absolutely he would. That's what he does. And here's the important part. Here's the key thing. He doesn't do it as some test to see whether you can white knuckle it through a terrible event. He does it because he loves you and he wants you to die to your idols so he can give you something better. It's out of love that he asks us to go these places. It's out of love that he sends us these places. Peter finally sees Jesus in his mission for what it really is. Him glorified in the cross and then asking him to follow him there for love of Jesus. When we think about our devotion to Jesus, where does it stand in light of the, how the real Jesus has revealed himself? constant challenge then following Jesus is difficult and by the way I can't promise you much in this life but I can promise you that it's not going to always be easy to follow Jesus it's worth it but it's not always easy I mean you could be like poor Adam and have a belligerent friend who just refuses to answer your calls but you don't have to go to seminary or be a pastor or do what he did. Don't ever forget in a community like this, don't ever forget the power of weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's ministry. You don't need some kind of advanced seminary degree. You could have become a Christian yesterday and you're qualified to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You're qualified to do that. And Jesus will lead us there on those paths. I think what we have to do, though, is we stop focusing on the difficulty. When things become difficult, we, have, we, we just always focus on the difficulty. When things become difficult in the Christian life, stop, stop focusing on the thing and instead focus on Jesus. We do that. We get so caught up in the thing and we just need the thing fixed. But meditate on who he is. Meditate on what he has done. Meditate on what he is like. And consider what that means for all of eternity, not just our momentary suffering. He'll call you to follow you where you don't want to go. He will call you to give up precious things 
He'll call you into relationships you wouldn't choose. He'll call you to forgive people you think it's easier to just forget. He'll call you to love. He'll call you to fight for unity. I can back this up. It's all here. And he does it all for your good because he loves you. And his mercies are new every single day. Every single day when we betray him. This morning, later today when I do it again, my heart goes where it shouldn't go. Tomorrow morning his mercies are new. This is what our God is like. Resurrection is coming. Believe in that. He rose from the dead and he will one day raise all of those who were in him. Giving up, famous quote, giving up what you could have right now for what is eternal is really no great loss at all. I'm going to pray. Uh, and then the band's going to come up while I pray. Um, and after this prayer, while I just want you to use this time to respond. If that is to rejoice in what God is like in your life, then rejoice. If it is to ask questions, if it is to weep and to cry out to God, do that. He invites that and welcomes that. If you want someone to pray with you, I'll be up here. You can be up here? Yeah. Come up. You want someone to pray with you, someone to talk about? Man, come. You have questions? You want to know more about this Jesus? Nothing I would rather talk to you about. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that this is what you were like. That you were a God who... Whose heart <laughs> beats for those who are wounded, who beat, you're bringing a kingdom that's not accessible just to a few elite, but to anyone, to the poor, to the hurting, to the outsider, to the betrayer, to the failure, to the thief. This kingdom is for you, for them. Give us the courage to follow. Give us the wisdom to see our idols. Give us the strength to let you destroy them that we might know you, that we might live a full and rich life, giving glory to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.